You're listening to The Served Up Show, a podcast that features inspiring beverage professionals and topic experts that share their passions through meaningful content. Your hostesses, Bridget Albert, is best known as the Market Fresh Mixologist, an industry mentor with over 25 years of experience. And I'm Julie Milroy, best known for my passion for leading change and helping others grow in their careers. Grab a cocktail and sit back. Let's learn how we can make a positive impact in our industry. Hey, y'all, it's Bridget here. Julie and I had the pleasure of sitting down with Lashana Daniels. She has a really cool platform called Do It For The Cocktail Culture Series. It is all based around the Black experience, culture, and history, and is celebrated along the way with amazing crafted cocktails. She tells us all about her journey, what inspires her, and what she wants to do next. So sit back, relax, grab yourself your favorite Maker's Mark cocktail, and enjoy the show. Shana, welcome to Served Up. Julie and I are really thrilled to have you on our show today. Thank you so much for having me on. This is amazing. Let's just jump right in, Lashana. And I know we talked about this a little bit. We came across your um, Instagram feed and you share some really amazing content in regards to you know cocktail culture. And I'd love for you to just share with our listeners like what it is that you do and what got you inspired to start doing the work that you do. Yes. All right. Cool. So hello, everyone. My name is Lashana Daniels. I call myself the Libation Librarian, and I am the founder of Do It For The Cocktail Culture. Uh, Do It For The Cocktail Culture, just as a whole premise, as a business, started as a way to celebrate Black stories in celebratory ways. Um, You know, we've expanded from taking our business on Instagram to, you know, having virtual events, making custom cocktail creations inspired by historical Black figures, also making custom cocktails inspired by everyday people's stories um, and celebrating them on their birthdays, on milestones. Uh, We've created merchandise that also helps to share Black stories in celebratory ways. Uh, I've collaborated with a bunch of brands from the James Beard Foundation to Tales of the Cocktail uh, to the Spruce Eats, you know, sharing Black stories through cocktails and panels and, you know, celebrating and advocating for Black-owned spirit brands. So, you know, it's it's a lot of different things we do, but um, the premise and the baseline is share Black stories in celebratory ways. Lashana, how did you get started in the beverage industry as a whole? When I was in college, I went to um, fashion school in New York. I went to FIT. And in college, I was just figuring out ways to support myself. And I was working in retail and retail wasn't cutting it for the bills. So I was like, let me try to get into a restaurant and work my way up to being a server. So that's what I did. I, interestingly enough, you know, enabled my way into being a hostess, worked my way up to being a server. And initially it was all about, you know, just making the money so that I can support myself. But then as I got into the restaurant, they had an amazing bar program. Like they had, it was a Japanese, Brazilian, Peruvian inspired restaurant. 
And they really heavily focused on having an expansive sake list, expansive wine list. And I learned about all of these amazing beverages and spirits that I never even um, came across in my life. So, you know, that initially like sparked my interest in mixology, hospitality, and I learned a lot there. And that was over 10 years ago. So ever since then, I've been working in a variety of different restaurants um, you know, building my way up. And right before um, the pandemic actually really hit, I was working as an events manager in a very large scale venue in downtown Los Angeles. And I, I never even thought I would end up there. And I realized how much I actually love events. You know, I, I think there's something special about people that grow up in the restaurant industry or, you know, I mean, your story is very similar to a lot of um, our guests, right? Like I was going to school and it didn't make money. And I just fell in love with the, the industry. Um, so tell us a little bit about that transition going from, you know, working in restaurants. Is, so you were doing serving, you were a server um, and then going to event management. Like how did that transition happen? And what was that experience like? That was an amazing experience. And it was really cool because I didn't, I never had the vision to be in management. When I moved to Los Angeles, because I'm originally a New Yorker, native New Yorker, um, I moved to Los Angeles with um, my now husband, and he was working in music. So while I was there in LA, I was like, well, I'm going to go do and figure out um, a job that I know I could do well, which is um, serving. The climate was very different. I never, been to LA before I moved there. So once I realized the industry, like restaurants are a big deal, but catering is even bigger in LA than it is in New York. So I was able to, by an interesting circumstance, um, my Lyft driver, I could tell she was a New Yorker by her accent, became friends with her. She was working at a catering venue in downtown LA. I asked her to put in a good word for me, got the job. Um, started off with this venue by just like here and there serving, ended up being with them for over five years, <laughs> and which is like kind of like irregular in the hospitality world for servers and some people, you know, you're usually hopping from job to job. Um, so while I was there, it was like pretty much my L.A. family because I didn't have any like family there. I had a few friends, but not very many people that I knew. Um, so it became a go to place for me. Um, I loved what they were doing as far as the caliber of service, the caliber of events, and of course, just the people around me. I was like, this is a place where I can stay and, you know, hustle, make my money, but also have friends who for as family for life. And while I was in there, um, I served, I think I want to say at least a minimum of three years um, up until the point when they actually started to come up to me and approach me and say, well, we would like to promote you to a uh, service captain. And I was like, oh, I, I never even thought you would think of me that way. I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> I was like, more money, again, in my head, all about like making a dollar because I was doing a whole bunch of different things at the time. And again, service was like something that I always did, but I never thought about having a career in it. Then when I became service manager, um, service captain, sorry, it was really a eye-opening experience as far as you know, the inner workings of how to manage a whole entire catering and staff team. That was something that I did well because I had management experience before, but I was like, this is actually really cool. And I'm, I'm happy that I got to see even more on how this business operates. 
Um, and then I wasn't even service captain. I feel like six months before they created a whole new position um, within the company called events manager. And they said, you're the only person that we can have step into this role. Do you want this job? And I was like, well, I didn't even see this coming again. <laughs> but I definitely want to see where this goes. You know, I, it was really um, abstract for me because Again, not knowing the management side, especially of the catering industry, I was like, what would be required of me? But as I got into it more and I learned the role more, I felt like I was made to do that in a way. Like all the skills that I've had in my life helped me to do that role. So um, and I also loved and appreciated the responsibility of growing with such an amazing um, company as they were. Yeah, that's really incredible. And it's almost like if you do it, you know, if you really do the hard work, you can build something incredibly special, which really leads me to my next question for you. And that is, you know, you really are a, a thought leader on social media, which is where we found you. And I would love to know more about how you created that important space that you have and kind of the why behind it as well. Uh, absolutely. Um, so you know, going back to like the origins of Do It For The Cocktail Culture. Again, you know, my um, initial drive was, okay, I'm in the events industry. I'm an events manager right now. But when the pandemic hit, the industry almost became like non-existent. And it kind of transitioned to an idea of we're moving everything virtually, but we don't know how that looks like because we've never done that before. So um, I was in LA um, in March of 2020 was supposed to help manage Emma Stone's wedding. <laughs> it was huge. I was super excited for that, but I was also- That's huge. <laughs> you just said that so casually. Like we don't know who Emma Stone is. <laughs> yeah, My goodness. Yeah, that like, I, I guess because it became casual, more casual for me when I was working in LA, like doing celebrity and like big things like that was just like the natural occurrence. Like- we were supposed to host Jay-Z's 50th birthday party, but it didn't go through. I did a lot of Fox and the after parties, seen so many celebrities. Jamie Foxx asked me for a stick of gum one time. So it's just like, it's like all, all over the place. My yeah. gosh, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was just like, you know, it started to become normal for me. So, um, yeah, that was like the big thing um, for me. It was like, we're going to do Emma Stone's wedding. And in the time, I was still trying to transition back to New York because I really wanted to be home. Um, and trying to find my positioning in the events industry in New York. But I was like, I got to stay to do this event at least. But then um, the mandates got into a place where people weren't allowed to gather in um, parties bigger than 50 people. And once that hit, like we had to, can they canceled the wedding, um, the business. I lost about two months of work in one week. Uh, it was just like head was spinning. So I then was like, okay, well, I, Definitely have to move back home at this point. I'm in New York and I'm sitting there and I'm like, you know, what do I do? In that meantime, it was like me going through it and having COVID, um, you know, then packing up a one bedroom apartment by myself, trying to transition, do all these things and just say, well, what am I doing with my life at this point? What can I do with my life at this point? And I was in New York and, you know, a few months had passed. And then George Floyd's death happened. And that was just like the gut punch for me and a lot of us after everything we had been going through. But it was also a really magical moment because everyone really had to sit and observe and take in what was happening. 
And I took that moment for myself to say, okay, the next thing that I do, I want it to be meaningful and impactful. I want to do something that makes a difference if I can with the skills that I have. So I was like many people on social media, just sharing as much information as I could find. Ironically enough, I was never on Instagram before this happened, this moment. I like was anti-social media. You're <laughs> kidding. No, like I oh did not gosh. have capacity for it. People would always say, oh, do you have an Instagram? And I'm like, yeah, but I'm really bad at it. But, you know, I'm trying to be better. Like that's always my reaction to social media. So when like that happened in May, I was on Instagram the most I've ever been in my life. And while on Instagram, I saw this really amazing cocktail um, done by a Instagram friend of mine, mixologist, like cocktail creator, drinkstagram guy. Um, his name is Brenton from Handle at Cheers to Happy Hour. Uh, he's a Canadian uh, influencer, does really beautiful cocktails. And he did a cocktail inspired by Marcus Garvey's Pan-African flag. And when I saw it, it blew my mind. And I was like, this is absolutely beautiful and amazing. So I shared it in my stories. And Brenton, who has like all of these followers, he's like over, I think at this point, over 40,000 followers. Um, he just responded to me. So thank you very much for sharing. And I was so surprised that he responded to me. But we ended up, you know, creating a relationship, sharing um, information. And I shared with him this really cool story I found uh, about a gentleman named Jerry Lawson. So he was a black video game engineer um, in the 70s in Silicon Valley. And he and his team developed the first interchangeable video game cartridge. So those old school video games that we know we would take the cartridges out and blow them. He and his team created that technology, which was mind blowing to me. I had never heard that story before in my life. And I never even, I couldn't conceive how that wasn't as big as it should be. Like that should be like common knowledge, like how, you know, George Washington and his cherry tree. Like it's like, <laughs> I'm like, what is going on? So I shared that with Brenton. He loved it. And we um, said, you know what? How about we make a cocktail inspired by his story? And we can incorporate ingredients that are inspired by the facts, historical facts, and some of the things he did. So that was the first time I ever did something like that. It really was just like a spark in the moment. It wasn't something that I ever envisioned on doing. And it was even hard to figure out how to um, navigate that. But we did it, made a beautiful cocktail, and then we both shared it on our platforms. And it got such great feedback that that is when I was like, maybe this is a page. Maybe this is something that I can consistently do to help, you know, tell these stories um, and get people excited about learning these stories. Because um, myself personally, I'm a history nerd. I've always been this way. I always like, watch historical films. And even back in high school, I used to um, host um, Black history field trips. Um, someone started that program and I took it over for them. And, you know, we did a really cool field trip where we went to Harlem and I'm originally, my family's originally from Harlem. I was born in the Bronx, but of course have ties in Harlem. And so I knew how to navigate on places to take people so that they can have a really like culturally enriching experience. We went there, we did that, always had like the hospitable nature in me where we figured out like how to get people on the buses, where to go eat, how to have the full on experience. So that's always been a part of me. 
And I was like, you know, I feel like people think history can be boring, uh, especially because of the way it's taught or just, you know, thinking about black and white images. We live in a world of color, all of that. So that's why when I created Do It For The Cocktail Culture, I wanted people to think of history as fun. I wanted people to see that these stories are important to learn just for ourselves, but also to keep alive and to keep going. And it doesn't have to be black and white, boring, textbook, heavy ideas and all of that. Or even if it is heavy ideas, you know, we're going to make them potent. We're going to make them interesting. We're going to make them fascinating. We're going to tell you stuff you don't necessarily know. Um, We've done cocktails from unknown people or lesser known people like Jerry Lawson to, you know, bigger names like Frederick Douglass. And when I do bigger name um, historical Black figures, I try to really dive into who they were as a person and the things that people don't necessarily know about them and why they were great and what made them a great person. Um, you know, just taking away the cookie gutter again. So, you know, that was the whole premise with Do It For The Concept Culture, even down to the graphics. I do. I am grateful that I'm able to have the knowledge to <laughs> create all the graphics um, for the page. And my main mission with the graphics was I wanted everything to be colorful, clean, bright, modern, like eye-catching. Um, you know, I really wanted to just take it out of this whole mold and create something different. Wow. It's like all your talents and skill set just kind of came together. You know, I mean, the fact that you were doing historical tours specifically in, in Black history and, and bringing that to life in a very fun and innovative way. Um, and then behind that, like you mentioned, you went to school at FIT, you know, and, and in fashion and design. So I'm sure that's where that creative part comes out and to be able to pull it all together and and provide such a great resource. And, and I agree with you. I don't think we talk enough about, you know, that celebratory history, right? And, and there's been a lot of talk about that. And I know it's really questioning what we learn in our history books and in school and, and who we learn about and why we don't learn about some things and how, when we do talk about Black history, why is it only around the suffrage, which is important. We have to know that, but the celebrations and, and the contributions are so important. And, um, and we should talk more about that. And, and the fact that, you know, you bring history into it and, and with cocktail being such a big part of pop culture, um, I put that together the other day by one of our colleagues, you know, he was like, well, you know, spirits is a big part of, you know, pop culture. Yeah, you're right. Um, so where did that spirits connection happen? I know that when you're in restaurants and stuff, obviously it's a big part of the beverage programs between you mentioned wine, sake, spirits, like what made you really want to create this round cocktails? Was that just from Brenton, which at cheers to happy hour, is he kind of playing the role as the mixologist or are you exploring and becoming a mixologist through this, this venture of yours? Very good question. So I personally always had a passion for mixology. That's kind of how I ended up stumbling upon Brenton because I was following as many like cocktail hashtags as I could on um, Instagram because I just love that. Um, Actually, before I became an events manager, I wanted to be a bartender and I was pushing for that. And they said, no, we have other plans for you. (laughs) So I always I like it it always stuck with me, um, the concept of mixology, learning how to make cocktails. Um, I never was a home bar enthusiast, 
interestingly enough. Like I did some things here and there, but it wasn't like something that I went into the forefront with until I did that first collaboration with Brenton. And um, as far as the cocktails for the page goes, I actually collaborate with a whole bunch of different types of mixologists, cocktail creators, and influencers in the space um, to make these drinks. Um, I've also thankfully um, grown as a mixologist myself and started to also create some cocktails. Like for instance, one of the first real ones I did was inspired by Josephine Baker. I haven't released Mm. that one yet, but I really wanted that cocktail to have as many layers as possible. So I did that one myself, but I really wanted the brand to collaborate with as many people as possible, especially um, mixologists who were not um, Black or people of color. I wanted it to be a diverse experience because the idea of Do It For The Cocktail Culture really is to unify people from all different backgrounds and help everyone learn a little bit more while enjoying a delicious cocktail. I love that so much because, you know, something about enjoying a cocktail, rarely do we do it alone, rarely unless you're sitting at a bar, I suppose, by yourself, but it really is a communal experience, right? It's meant, a cocktail is meant to be a lot of times celebrated with, with your friends and through conversations and sometimes hard conversations and sometimes not so hard conversations, right? And so to create something that is for everyone, I think it's it's really it's beautiful and it makes perfect sense, right? It makes absolute perfect sense. I would love to know what some of your favorite cocktails of the moment are. Like what, what are you seeing? Well, uh, I have, it was something um, funny that I noticed, um, like towards the beginning of the month, there was like this trend where people, um, mainly on Instagram were like, you know, summer's not over. I still want my summer cocktails. <laughs> people were like, I'm ready for my fall cocktails, especially with it being Berlin Heritage Month. People are ready to go full throttle in that. I won't lie. You know, the weather here in New York is still very warm. So I'm still holding on to getting my tiki summer feel cocktails on <laughs> as much as possible. But I am excited for fall too, because it's actually my favorite season. So, you know, I will be transitioning into definitely getting some more like cider, um, warm cocktails in um, my repertoire. But, you know, in general, I always have my go to cocktails like my favorite of all time cocktail is a daiquiri, hands down. It's like, you know, any time of day, any time, any occasion you can give me a daiquiri and I'll be happy. I love that. Having that favorite cocktail, I feel like it does tell a lot about who you are and your personality, right? And I love the fact that you make these cocktails around these historical stories and really telling that story of somebody. So two questions. What is kind of the your favorite cocktail that that you that you guys have collaborated on um, in regards to um, whoever you're celebrating? And what would your cocktail be if somebody were to make your cocktail for Lashana Daniels? Both very good questions. Um, first one I do, I get asked that a lot, you know, like, what is your favorite cocktail that you've made? It's really hard for me to just say one is my favorite because they're all like, I'm so heavily involved with making these drinks. Um, I feel like a lot of people may not understand how much work actually goes into making these drinks. 
Like when I decide to work with someone um, to make a cocktail, I usually like to ask the mixologist or the person I'm working with, who do you want to celebrate? And nine times out of 10, they have somebody that they're like, yeah, I want to tell their story with. So what I tend to do is I tend to go in and do a lot of research on the person. At least I spend an hour on it, get a full page document together. And once I get that together, I read through their story and figure out ways to turn their story into ingredients. Um, And that even requires even more research. Um, So like, for instance, if we want to talk about the Frederick Douglass cocktail, uh, which was actually a mocktail I made inspired by his ode to temperance. He was very adamant about, you know, abstaining from alcohol. So I was like, what better way to celebrate that with a mocktail? Um, we looked into like his backstory and Frederick Douglass did amazing things when he was a child. He learned how to read and write um, at a very young age. And growing up um, in Baltimore, he actually taught other slaves how to read and write. And I really wanted to showcase and highlight that specific moment of his story because that's something that I didn't know about him. And I was like, well, let's think about Maryland. Let's think about Baltimore. I'm thinking crabs. I'm I'm just thinking crabs, you know? (laughs) So then I was like, Old Bay. I really want to see if Old Bay would work in a drink. I mean, that's just like, it's wonky. It's, It's something that you draw your attention. And I reached out to my friend, um, great bartender, amazing woman, Maggie Morgan. So Maggie um, was working um, at a specific hotel bar in Brooklyn at the time. And I said, Maggie, I want to make a mocktail for Frederick Douglass. And it might sound weird, but if possible, I want to add some Old Bay in there. (laughs) She said, I love that. So we were able to go to our job. They gave us full range of the bar to whip up what we wanted to do. And it turned out to be absolutely delicious. Um, And it was made in collaboration with a um, non-alcoholic spirit brand, or not a spirit brand, but non-alcoholic brand um, called For Bitter For Worse. They really wanted to do a Frederick Douglass cocktail, so a mocktail. So when I reached out to Maggie, we all came together and made this amazing drink inspired by it. So it's like, for me, every time I work on a drink, I just, I love every aspect of it or there's at least one thing that I'm like this is this is genius and I honestly don't know where it came from because I don't feel like I thought about this I think it was like divinely given to me because <laughs> I'm like <laughs> this is just so bizarre but amazing and uh, such a deep connection so it's like all these drinks are like really special to me even the ones that I do for everyday people because I've had some of my clients um that I've done black history cocktails for for their holiday parties or, you know, with, uh, for instance, the Spruce Eats. I've done some articles with them around cocktails and they're like, you know, my husband's birthday is coming up. Would you make a cocktail for him? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, and I'm like, but now you're going to have to do work because now I'm going to need the research from you. And now you need to know more about him. Um, And that's also been a fun dynamic to get involved with. And even those cocktails where it's like everyday people that I get to celebrate in cocktail form. I'm like, this is amazing. Like some people would probably feel like their stories aren't even important. But when we get it all together and put it in a drink and present it in a certain way, they're like, wow. Like one of my clients really said, I want to know her talking about her own cocktail. (laughs) So cool. It's so deeply personal. And I, I, I just love what you're 
what you're doing. I mean, it's um, it's incredible for you to tell that story of, of Frederick Douglass and and it just feels like you get to know him at a different level that you would never, you know, know of him. So tell us more about this cocktail. It's making my mouth water, this mocktail. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about the no alcohol spirit brand, because I know that's a big thing. I know Bridget's, she's an expert in that category too. So I'd love to know more about what that whole cocktail is. So that's amazing. Yeah. So during my journey on Instagram, I became connected with For Bitter For Worse. They're an Oregon-based um, non-alcoholic brand that makes sparkling mixers. Um, so the one mixer that they sent out to us was ca- called the Eva Spritz. So that one has like rhubarb, a lot of spices, I think some orange. Um, so that was a really um, bitter but refreshing flavor. So I was like, okay, this has a lot of flavor in it. I'm kind of worried about putting too many flavors with it because it is like very forward um, and it's sparkling. So I'm like, you know, how does, how do we make a drink that works with that? Is it going to be a float? Like, how are we going to do this? So um, once I dive into the research though, cause I honestly let the research lead me. I don't try to just make something happen with these um, cocktails or mocktails. Um, so once I got into the research, Old Bay came up with the Baltimore experience. Apples came up a lot because um, Frederick Douglass, when he ran away from slavery, he ran away to New York. And, you know, New York is the big apple. You know, the state's fruit is apples. So I wanted to tie that in. Um, And it was actually, I think, around a year ago that we that drink. So we ended up making it a hot drink. So we made um, hot apple cider in it. Um, But then we also did a really fun, delicious syrup, which kind of like carried most of the drink. Um, It was a cranberry bay leaf and like Caribbean spice syrup. So it had like clove, star anise, cinnamon, tarragon, had so many different flavors. And each of those flavors were tying into one on Frederick Douglass uh, when he was elevating throughout his career. Um, He became a part of the federal government as a diplomat to Haiti and um, the Dominican Republic. So I really wanted to use those flavors to help celebrate that. So the cranberry and bay leaf syrup in Frederick's mocktail um, was inspired by his early career when he became an orator and was first being known as an abolitionist. And when he was in Massachusetts, this is when all of that was taking place. So I really wanted to do an ode to Massachusetts. And they are very well known for um, producing cranberries. And they're also called the Bay State. And that's something I didn't know. And I was like, that's kind of like a fun fact. So when I think of Bay, I'm thinking Bay Leaf. Let's try Bay Leaf if that works. And it's a lot of flavors and it's kind of confusing. And I was like, I don't know if these will work. But once we put them all together, it made a delicious, flavorful syrup that worked great with the hot apple cider. So then we thought, okay, we're going to float this whole entire idea here with this Eva Spritz from For Better or For Worse. And that be our tie in to temperance drinks and also the history of temperance, temperance drinks. Um, which is something that I actually dove into a little bit more um, when I started doing for the cocktail culture. I didn't really know the history behind it. You know, you always see uh, women were 
promoting temperance and the rights to vote and all of that. But it's like, what was the history behind that? What was that climate like? Why was that something that became a thing? <laughs> There's some dark history around it for sure. Um, for the people who are watching, if you uh, go onto my Instagram page, I did a post about Coca-Cola, which was like the original temperance drink, interestingly enough. And there is some some unfortunate history behind that about, you know, temperance was actually um, one of the ways to suppress a lot of people of color or even um, European white immigrants um, and a way for American society to profile, basically, (laughs) from that. So, um, you know, that's a really fun series that I did, though, with Coca-Cola and just seeing how its origins, because everybody knows Coca-Cola used to have coca leaf in it. Um, but do they understand, like, what was that idea about how, you know, drugs was a very big part of our society at one point when it became a shift from alcohol? And then even looking from it from Frederick Douglass perspective, he was very passionate about abstaining from alcohol because in his experience, a lot of slave masters would give their slaves alcohol to keep them suppressed. And he was saying, you know, we need to not drink in order to help elevate ourselves, in order to stay focused, in order to have an image where we can show ourselves that we are human, we are educated, um, we are not drunks, because that was, you know, also another stereotype of the time. Um, So you know, as a Black person who loves spirits, like I understand and respect the climate of the time of what Frederick was trying to do. We have progressed from there. So spirits have a different connotation as opposed to what they did back then. But it's also important to know how important that was. I agree with you a thousand percent. You know, we don't talk enough about that period of time. We don't talk enough about prohibition and it affects on all communities. We hear just um, almost like the glorified snippets, let's say, about Al Capone, for instance. Mm -hmm. But we don't always hear about the the hatred of immigrants, for instance. You know, we don't always hear about um, the, the dark side of it, but it's important to know all of it and not just what seems to be, and I'll use the term like pop culture-y, I guess, you know, something that seems almost like um should be in a in a movie, like when I say like, you know, the 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 organized gangs and all this kind of stuff. But there was something much deeper happening well before we hit prohibition. So I'm so happy that you mentioned that. And I do hope that you will um share more of what you know throughout your channels. I find it fascinating, but mostly I find it important. It's like, if we don't know where all this comes from, we could wind up back there really easily. Right. I appreciate that. And I would love to know, Lashana, you're very fascinating. (laughs) It's amazing to me, all the knowledge that you have, (laughs) you know, I would love to know just a little bit more about your process. I I think our listeners would enjoy to really to understand your process when you are searching out for the folks that you're trying to highlight and creating the cocktails, where do you start? Do you start with a topic? You know, how does that unfold for you? Because it seems like it would be a hell of a lot of work. Yeah. um, I will say that I actually don't spend that much time researching for topics. Um, I think 
between, you know, like I said, when I first started the page and collaborating with people and people usually having somebody they want to highlight, that's been a way for me to say, okay, let's push some new stories that people may not know. Um, and then while I do that research, I come along, I come across more things and I make notes of those things. And I'm like, I gotta, this is crazy. I can't believe I found this. And I really feel like a lot of the time, this stuff just comes to me. And sometimes people even send me stuff, um, which I really appreciate um, because, you know, like you said, it takes a lot of time to do this research. I don't have that time, <laughs> especially trying to run this business. Um, but something that I've actually done to help me get inspired sometimes too, is looking at like national holidays and, you know, making correlations with those national holidays, which is something that I never thought would help, but in a weird way it does. So like, for instance, um, at the end of August was National Beach Day. And I learned about a really fascinating story um, about a, like a beach community um, outside of LA, um, an area called Manhattan Beach, uh, where there was a Black-owned um, beach resort that was there in the 1920s, I think up until the 1940s. And they were pretty much kicked out by not only the KKK, not only the community, but the government. And they were like fighting to get their land back. When they finally was able to get the right to have their land back, they were so broke that they couldn't even move back. Um, so they went from being a very successful community, a destination for Black people to come through to from all throughout the country to like almost being wiped off the map and out of history. Um, I, I think I read an article where one of the descendants of the two people, it was on Willa, um, I forget her husband, but the Bruce's, it was called Bruce's Beach. Um, and the Bruce's, descendants um, would go to school and tell people my family used to own Manhattan Beach and the kids would laugh at them because they would be like, what are you talking about? That where, where is this coming from? This doesn't make any sense. Nobody's is not in the history books. Nobody told me that. Um, so, you know, there's been the national holidays that have actually helped me to get correlations on, you know, ways to share black stories or like tie them in um, like even mint julep day. Um, there is like historical black mixologists like John Dabney, who was a pioneer of making mint juleps. And that's, you know, something a lot of people don't think about when they're thinking of when they're drinking and making juleps about the legacy of black bartenders who were crafting those cocktails in early America. Working with current events and what's going on, I, I'm sure can lead to a lot of inspiration. And it just goes to show how vast the history is and how there is so much, right? And a lot to celebrate and a lot to be like, wow, did that really happen? Even how you take off of, I think what drew me, you know, the, the specific content that um, when I came across to your site was you, you know, I think it was like getting into summer and you're like, everybody's talking about watermelons, watermelons, you know, and, and you shared some really insightful facts, historical facts on the stereotype against watermelon. Could you share that? Because I feel like it was so powerful and it was, and by the way, your graphics, everything are so great, but it was just like just a few slides. It took like two seconds to read and I learned so much and it, and it just kind of pulls everything together. Yeah. So that post, that's definitely like one of my top performing posts. Um, the 
the racist history of watermelons um, and the black stereotype associated around that. I feel like it's another one of those like temperance ideas where it's like, you know, we don't really talk about the history behind that that much. Um, And even when I create posts like that, like you said, it takes two minutes to read, but we spend a lot of time making sure that we refine those ideas down to the most potent facts and phrases and sentences and ideas so that when you read it, you're getting something new because there are people who are like, yeah, I was aware of this stereotype, but it's like, do you know where this stereotype came from? Let's, let's, let's dive deeper into it. Let's really understand the atmosphere around that. And in that post, I learned so much. It was also a very hard post to create because um, I don't know if a lot of people are aware of this, but there was a lot of imagery, whether it was like, like a lot of household items, cookie jars, you know, pot holders, even music that was influenced by this stereotype. And it created really demeaning caricatures of Black people in the worst kind of ways. Like if you think about like war propaganda, like this was war on Black people in America, literally. Um, Demonizing them, making Black people look dirty or lazy or all of these different things that I don't identify with. And just seeing it over and over while I was doing this research, it was such a hard thing to dive into. But at the same time, I was like, this is why I need to move forward with this. So in that post, um, we talked about the origins of the stereotype, where it came from, and a lot of fascinating facts about that that I didn't know. And that's usually where I approach how I share the content. It's what do I not know? Because most likely everybody else doesn't know this. So like, for instance, how when Black people were slaves in America, they used to grow watermelons and their owners allowed them to grow it and sell it. And a lot of people were saving that Black people were saving that money. So when freedom came, they were able to purchase their own line, sorry, own land um, based off the money they made from this. And they even had holidays around eating watermelons. So it was a a freedom food in a way, you know, uh, for Black people at that time. And it was a source of economic growth. And once freedom came and Black people were going about selling their watermelon, growing their watermelon, doing what they needed to do to survive, the the deep-seated Jim Crow racism seeped into this um, empowering act and empowering fruit and um, you know, black people once became associated with watermelon. Now, watermelon is something that people deem as, you know, I'm not eating that. That's a dirty fruit, fruit, a uh, dirty fruit and food, and it's something that you know white people don't do. And we're gonna label this as something black people. And now we can open up the door to all these different ideas of why black people are bad because they eat watermelon, and and like just slap it all in together. Even to, um, for instance, um, a lot of people might not know. I feel like it's become more popular to know now, but like the famous ice cream truck jingles um, that we hear, that was taken from an American folk song called Turkey in a Straw and was redone um, to say some demeaning things about Black people eating watermelon. (laughs) And the fact that it seeped into the ice cream truck theme song and it's still being used today even if it came from this folk song, it's like the associations are just so deep. 
Um, I've seen it, it, it's that stereotype was became super prolific um, at the turn of the 19th century. And it was just like down to even cartoon characters of black people eating watermelons and, you know, a great video music video that um, I love um, is by Jay-Z. It's called um, The Story of OJ. And he actually takes the context of this idea of like, you know, the black caricature that was created by society. And in that scene, he's actually eating watermelon, like the historical scenes of how black people were portrayed eating watermelon and how um, even back in the day, something else that I forgot to mention about it, um, during reconstruction, when there was a abundance of um, black representatives and legislation um, holders, they were being demonized for saying, you know, they were spending all tax dollars on eating watermelon. And that's where your money's going. It's just, it was just crazy. The associations that were happening around this fruit. And it's, it's a really sad concept. I'm glad it's not as bad as it is, as it was at one point, but it still lingers to even like Obama when he was president, there was a caricature drawn of him of a White House intruder coming in and the White House intruder is asking Obama, how's a watermelon flavored toothpaste? And it's just like, what is this? <laughs> like, wow, it's, it's crazy how deep the roots are. And that's why it's so important that you continue to put out this content, right? Absolutely. It is, you're doing, I know that it's work that you love and I know that like, the cocktail part is so much fun, but you're doing truly important work. You're doing great work, good work <laughs> that people need to know about. And with that said, you know, how can people find you, Shana? You know, if they want to hire you, they want to get to know you. Where are you? How can, how can they find you to hire you? <laughs> <What>? <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for that. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, if you want to find us um, to keep up with the stories that we're sharing, um, you can head to our handle for the cocktail culture on Instagram. We're also on Facebook, but I primarily work on Instagram. That's like where I started. That's my home base. Um, so you can follow us there. Turn on your post notifications to get all the posts that we share. Um, if you would like to reach out um, to me through there on DMs, I'm always on my DMs. So you can reach out to me there, too. You can also send me an email at forthecocktailculture at Gmail. Funny story. <laughs> about my business. So we've been in business, I think a little over a year. I started in June of 2020 when I created the brand. I've been going up and down this whole entire time of not having a website. That's been something <laughs> that I've been always trying to develop. And it's just crazy because, you know, being a one woman show, like I've had people help me here and there. Like I've had some of my friends who are copy editors come in. I've hired virtual assistants, but I'm still a very small operation. So I haven't, between trying to manage the events and create a build a website, I haven't gotten to it, but I am working on that right now um, because I am interested in launching uh, public cocktail hour experiences. I've mainly been doing them for private people like corporations and just for other brands as well. And so now I want to launch public cocktail hours where people can come in you know, learn about the stories of the cocktail, get our cocktail hour ebooks, which showcases the cocktail and tells the story along with it, and also get cocktail kits. And that's something that, you know, I know people are interested in going back in person, but 
I, I want to spin it on the angle of, you know, there is a story attached to this cocktail. You're not just getting an old fashioned kit. You know, you're getting a drink you probably never experienced before. And you're going to get some insight on some black owned brands that you can even use in that drink, because that is something else that I'm very passionate about. So I'm working on launching that website, hopefully by the end of this month. And those events will be launched as well at the end of this month. That sounds amazing. And I, um, I just, I love that you can create a whole experience around one cocktail and telling the story, you know, I mean, that is just, that is so fascinating. And, and you're so, you know, what you can offer as part of your services and do it for the cocktail culture, you know, not only are you putting out super valuable content that we can all learn from um, and, and celebrating and also sharing some not so comfortable stories that we need to know, but, you know, going from large events to something very personal and um, individual, I think is just great that you can offer all of that. And what are some brands that you're working with and collaborating with? I would love to know. Yes. So I, I try to mix up the brands that I work with. Um, but currently right now, I've been um, going back and forth with Maker's Mark. Um, uh, one of the brands- <laughs> <laughs> That's, and this was not planned, listeners. <laughs> no, 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 it wasn't. Um, really, really great friend, um, Daniela um, Solano. She's a brand ambassador for Maker's Mark New York. Um, she and I met through Instagram, of course. Um, then she invited me to the Maker's Mark Black Bourbon Society um, collaboration event that they were having in Dumbo. That was a really great experience. I got to taste the spirit. I got to meet Samara, the founder of Black Bourbon Society, which is an awesome organization. And they're doing amazing things. And she was one of our episodes, too. She's been one of our guests. We love Samara. Yes. So, you know, that was um, Danielle and I's first like hangout. And then we've done hangouts as well. And I was like, you know, I've got a bourbon cocktail that I really want to work with Maker's Mark with. She heard the story. She loved it. So we're um, working on doing some dinners around that, as well as doing a public giveaway with the cocktail and making cocktail kits. I'm trying to get cocktail kits around that cocktail. But that would be our Jerry Lawson cocktail, the one I was telling you guys about. Uh, the, I call it the Demolition Derby because that's inspired by his video game that he created. Oh, that's so, so cool. Yeah, so that's um, one thing that I'm doing. And then I've worked off and on um, with Bitters Lab, a great um, bitters company, woman-owned bitters company out of Utah. Um, and we did an awesome cocktail inspired by one of Mexico's historical leaders. A lot of people may not be aware that Mexico was also a part of the slave trade and there are African descendants in Mexico. So we did a cocktail called the Proper Priest inspired by um, Jose Maria Morelos, who is like one of the revolutionists that helped Mexico get its independence. And it's very timely since it is Hispanic Heritage Month today. Um, So I'm trying to work with her to do something with that, but we're also trying to do another event um, coming up for October. So I'll definitely be promoting that. And then, um, you know, always trying to work with Black-owned spirit brands. Um, I have partnerships and trying to get in the works with um, Ebony Wine. Um, They have a few different varieties of wines, uh, but a great woman-led Black-owned brand. And then also one of my go-to guys that I love is Shinju Japanese Whiskey. 
Um, it is partially black owned. Um, the owner's name is Robert Montgomery. He's an amazing guy. He's creating a whiskey inspired by a Japanese samurai named Yasuki, who was a black slave that was brought over to Japan. So oh he, yeah, so that I definitely am trying to do a cocktail around that. So I'm ready for that to get into my mail. <laughs> but, you know, you know, always trying to put my feelings out to work with as many bands as possible, share stories, share the brand stories, you know, do some really amazing and inspiring things through spirits. I just love that. I mean, I, you know, we've already been on for such an hour, for an hour. And I just feel like we could talk forever. Like I want to know more and I want to have a cocktail and Thank you, Lashana, you know, just for being so open when we reached out and the fact that, you know, we could have this time now to learn more about you and everything that you're doing. I'm just so grateful. I'm grateful for everything that you're doing because it's so different and it's out of the box and it's it's what we want, you know, in, in our industry. And I think even the consumers like this is information that that we want and it makes it so exciting. I can't wait till we see each other in person. We visit New York. Bridget and I were actually talking about trying to set up a trip to New York before the end of the year. Um, so we'll have to set something up and come to one of your public uh, events. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. I, I cannot wait to meet you in person. And on behalf of Julie and I, I, I want to wish you just a lot of good health right now and a ton of peace. Because the work you're doing, I know is so hard. It sounds like it's, I, I don't know. I bet I, I have a feeling that it's not easy. Um, but keep doing that good work. Thank you. And so thank much. you for doing the good work. Thank you for that. Yeah. It's encouraging, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Cheers to you. Thanks for listening. Served Up is brought to you by Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. Produced by Zunu.online. Music by We Kill the Lion can be found on Spotify. Make sure to subscribe to be notified of future Served Up episodes. Cheers!